Well, let's begin with prayer. Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you would open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your word, God, that we may know that you are speaking. God, I pray that you would bless our hearing, bless the speaking, let the, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, Father, be acceptable in your sight. May your word ring true, and may, God, we be different when we leave than when we came in. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin this morning by asking just a couple of questions, very important questions, I think, and if I sat down with you, uh, I want to do this kind of like a conversation with you. It's what I would ask you if we were sitting together, and you asked me about ministry, and I would ask you in return, do you have what it takes for you to have a successful ministry? Do you have what it takes to lead well, preach well, teach well, and serve well? Do you have what it takes to finish strong, to finish well, to fight the good fight, and go out of this world and close your eyes in this life, and you open your eyes in the next, and you know that you finished well, and you've been the minister that God's called you to be? How do you know if you got what it takes? Where do you look? These are, these are important questions because may not be word for word, but when you sit down with a pastor search committee, that's really what they're thinking about you. Do you have what it takes to be successful in ministry? Now, what you have and what we have, an understanding of what success is, may be different than what they are, but that's really what they're asking and what they're thinking. Do you have what it takes? And, you know, we ask ourselves that in the quiet hours of the night. I don't know if you've ever been just reflecting in the quiet night, and you go, do I have what it takes? I've, I've surrendered to the call. I'm in ministry training. I'm learning. I'm studying. But do I have what it takes for the ministry? Even the little old lady Sunday school classes thinking about us when they are meeting, does he really have what it takes to be a successful minister. And it goes beyond just a, a simple yes, I've got what it takes. I hope that's what we say, yes, I've got what it takes, but it goes beyond that to why we have what it takes and, and what are we banking on, what are we relying on to give us what we have and what it takes to be in ministry. Please turn with me if you have a copy of God's Word to Paul's second letter to the church of Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to be looking at this passage this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I've been praying about ever since Saul that I'll be preaching this morning about what I'm supposed to be preaching, and God continually led me to this passage of Scripture. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 7 through 18 in this passage, and we're going to read in this passage what Paul has been given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and what we have to listen to today. Listen to what Paul writes here. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, 
but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe. And so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Oh, listen to these, these six words. So we do not lose heart. Why? Though our outer self is wasting away. Do I get an amen? <laughs> yeah. I woke up this morning groaning. Our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. Context of this passage is as Paul's writing another letter to a church where he had saw the first fruits of the gospel begin to grow, and after he leaves Corinth, false teachers come in, and they begin to sway the people. They come into the church, and they come in with certified letters of recommendation with all their accomplishments, they come in with degrees of oral uh, rhetoric and their shiny, charismatic way of swag. And the super apostles, as, Saul, as Paul calls them, sarcastically in 2 Corinthians 15.5, they begin to cause some within inside the church to question if Paul really had what it takes to have the right stuff for ministry. Now here's what Paul does not do. Paul does not give him, give the church here all of his accolades. He talks about it in Philippians chapter 3. He says, here are, my, here are my things that if I had put confidence in the flesh, this is all I've got. I mean, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was born, you know, in the best of the tribes of, 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 of the people of Israel. I'm Pharisee, as to the law, I was zealous. He gives his testimony or his, his resume there. He is, but that's not what I'm giving to you. He's not intimidated by these people. Now, I want to stop right here, and I just want to have some transparency. Can I have some, just some, some, some true talk, as my, my kids say? Some real talk. I, I deal with intimidation constantly. I, I, I deal with being intimidated by people. Being a younger brother, I, I grew up that way. Whatever my brother did, I wanted to do, but he'd always do it better. We were at a conference a few years ago, my wife and I, and this slick dude came up, this new 20-something preacher, 
I mean, he was, he, he looked slick. He came in there and, you know, he had the, from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, I mean, he was so much different than what, that I am. He, first of all, he was young. Second of all, he had this fade haircut, you know. He had this tight beard, you know, kind of like scruff that I could never grow. And then, then he had, you know, the, 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 he had this nice, you know, fit body, which, which made him wear this shirt. It was like a child size small. <laughs> and and then, then he had these, these skinny jeans with the tight rolled. And, and, I, and I was like, going, wow. And he was, he was smooth, too. And my, and my wife whispered over to me, get this, he whisper, she whispered over to me and says, you look like that. I bet you could preach better. <laughs> I didn't know if she was kidding. I still don't know 100% if she was kidding. But you know what? She didn't have to say that. Because I was already thinking, man, if I look like that, if I talk like that, man, I was intimidated. Right where I was sitting, I was sitting there going, 46-year-old man being intimidated by a 20-something-year-old guy. First of all, I would never be able to wear that stuff. I mean, can you imagine this in skinny jeans? I mean, crazy. Don't think about that. You'll, 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 you'll hurt yourself. But I was sitting there going, man, if, if I'm going to reach the young people, if I'm going to be able to be relevant today, is that what I've got to do? Paul was not intimidated. He didn't say, I'm going to measure you, and I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to go with you, you know, with, with how you talk, with how I talk. He gives the people of Corinth, he says, this is what I'm coming in with. I want to remind you that what makes me what I am, what gives me the credit and gives me the ability to do what I'm doing is not how I look, how I dress, how I talk. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Because he says here, in verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are the letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Look at your lives. Look at your changed lives. Look what God has done in and through our ministry together. That's what I'm banking on. That's my, whether I know I have what it takes or not. Paul wasn't intimidated by these super apostles. I love how you just imagine these guys just you know, having this big old S on their shirt. These super apostles. I'm not, he's not intimidated. He knew what he had to take to be the preacher, the pastor, the minister of the gospel that God had called him to. It was not with swag. It was not with charisma. It was not in how he dressed. Tradition says that Paul was probably short and bald and with a big old nose. They, 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 they even mentions that, that some have even claimed that he doesn't even talk very well, doesn't preach very well later on in 2 Corinthians. But Paul knew the priceless power of a cracked pot preacher. That's the power that will give you the ability to be able to stand before God and say, I've done it all. I've given my life. I've, I have fought the fight, not because of who I am, but because who you are in me. This morning, I want for us to look at the four possessions that you and I already have that makes for a successful minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
you already have these things. If you're a child of God, and if you've been called to the ministry, these are already yours, these four things, these four possessions. First of all, listen to this very carefully. You carry a treasure, but it's not you. Okay? You are not God's gift to the pulpit. You're not God's gift to your church. Look what he says here. For we have this treasure in jars of clay. What is the treasure that he's referring to? If you go back to verse 6, you see this beautiful, awesome treasure that's already yours and mine if we're followers of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6. He says, For God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts, this is the treasure, the glory, <laughs> the glory of the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the treasure, the light of the knowledge of the glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Let me give it to you this way. You have Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have inside your life the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's your treasure. The costly, the costly treasure of Jesus within the container. The costly treasure you carry with you. But I also want you to see what's not costly. What's not the thing that is most valuable is the container which is common. No one goes to a museum with treasure in it, and they look at the box or the container that it's in and go, that is a great container. That is an awesome stand which that crown of jewels are on. No one goes to there to see that, and they go to see the treasure. And so what makes the treasure even more glorious is the commonality, the clay pot in which it is in. That's what you and I are. We are the clay pots, the cracked pots of the treasure within us, which is Jesus Christ. So when you and I step in the pulpit, when you and I go and we minister to people, when we sit down with widows, and we sit down and we share the gospel wherever that may be, you're not the treasure. You want to tell them about the treasure. You want the treasure to shine forth. And here's the awesome thing. The more cracked the pot is, the more treasure shows through the cracked pot. The more dirty, the more, when I mean dirty, and I'm not talking about filth as in sin, but the more that you just look like the, the dirt of the earth, the more that you have that commonality about you, that weakness about you, that makes that treasure even more bright and glorious. So you have a treasure. You carry that treasure, but it's not you. Second of all, the second possession you have is that you have power, but it's not yours. He says the reason why we carry this treasure, the glory of Christ, the gospel in these clay pots, these broken pots, these chipped pots, is because we want to be reminded, we need to be reminded, we want people to know that it's not by our power, that the gospel goes forth and the gospel is effectual, it's because of the treasure itself. And it is the power of God within us, not us. So we've got to understand this, that the, the equation of power is not our weakness plus God's power equals our power. That's not what it is. 
It's not that God adds to us and we take this kind of super spiritual pill that makes us all powerful. No, we are conduits. We are funnels of God's amazing grace and power as we serve and as we love and as we preach. It is not us. It is the power of God flowing through us. It is our weakness plus God's power God's power through me and you. I want you to look at a passage of Scripture just a few chapters ahead in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He continues this idea of understanding our weakness, the, the commonality, the weakness that we have as the container of the treasure. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at, let's look at verses 7 through 10. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times, this is amazing, three times I asked of the Lord, three times I asked God, pleaded with Him that, that, that He would take it from me. Oh, will you do it? Will you do it? Will you do it? You have to Paul me. I'd have been praying every single day, but three times. And look what, look what the response of Christ was. Let this hit you. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamity. Why? For I, when I am weak, then I am strong. When we realize that we are nothing, that we have nothing in our hands to bring, but simply to the cross of Christ we cling. When we come saying, God, I am empty. God, I have nothing. God, I am nothing without you. God says, that's the kind of that's the kind of container I can use. That's the kind of container that will give me glory and that will see power just be at work among people's lives. The more we understand our weakness, the more we succumb to understanding that we are weak and not strong, that we are not all that there is, that it's a, you know, it's that, not that we have everything to, that everybody is looking for, but, but we know the one whom they're looking for in Christ, how much better off we'll be and how much more glorious that treasure will shine. Third possession that you and I have is that you have difficulties, but you're not destroyed. In talking about his weaknesses, he begins this understanding and begins this talk about how his life is seen and how he sees his life and how he sees the problems that come. He sees that he is not God's gift to the world, God's gift to Corinth, but he realizes that as he preaches and as he teaches and as he goes and serves, that there are things that come against him that even weakens, that even causes more cracks within his clay pot. And he says, that's okay. Let the, let, the, let the problems come. Let them come because I know that God is able to do in me and through me that which will not decimate me totally. Look what he says here. He gives you this not this list of all of his accomplishment, but all the things that he knows has made him weak. 
which makes the glory shine even brighter. He says we are afflicted in every way. Not in just a little bit of way, but every way. He says, I've got all these afflictions in my life, but I'm not forsaken. So I, I, I'm not crushed, I mean. He says, I'm perplexed, but I'm not driven to despair. I'm persecuted, but not forsaken. I'm struck down, but not destroyed. My wife and I, our first pastorate that, that I was called to, we could not have asked for a better church. We could not have asked for a better pastor. And some pastors have to wait a while to get to a pastorate like this. And if, if I could write, have written down all the things that I would love to see in my first pastorate, they would have matched perfectly. And God blessed us there for nine years. And I go to association meetings. And I hear people talk about, well, you know, my deacons are like this. Or I'm having all these problems. And I'm sitting there going, things are great where I'm at. God called us out of there to another place. And it was exactly the opposite of what we experienced. I don't know, I still don't know 100% why God called me to this other church. But I do know this to understand that there are weaknesses that happen. There are things that come into our lives that we have no control of. That it reminds us that while we don't have control of it, God is in control. And so my wife and I, when we were in that church... We'd have to look at each other sometimes and we'd say to each other and be reminding each other, listen, this is not terminal. This is not going to kill us. This is not all that there is. We know that God has something more. It's important for us to know that. It's important to know that even our difficulties come, God will not allow it to the point where we are decimated and we are destroyed. He says, I'm this. You know, we're, we have these problems, but listen, God's faithful. He is powerful. and He's not going to let me be in the place of perishing. I love what one preacher said. He goes, I'm, and when we look at these verses, he says, I'm squeezed, but I'm not squashed. You know, the pressures of, of ministering, the pressures of a church can come in, upon you, but you're, it's not going to squash you to the point where you can't make it. You can make it. I, I'm bewildered, but I'm not befuddled. I may not understand what God's doing. I may not understand what everybody's going at and what everybody's doing right now. I may not understand how God's got this in his grand plan, but I know this, that he knows my future, and he's got me right in the palm of his hand. I am pursued, but I'm not put out. That word persecuted is a systematic, a deliberate trying to get you to the point where you totally give up. It's that person that just pursues you it's always on your back it's those problems that continue to to come up and over and over and over again it's like david you know, his first as, as a as a as a young man he was anointed to be the next king of israel but saul was so jealous of him he put david on the run he pursued him and how amazing that saul would send a whole army after one little boy, one, little, one, one young man. But yet he can write in Psalms 27, Lord, you are my light and my salvation. He knows that God did not put him in a place where he was going to be put out. I like this one. I'm knocked down, but I'm not knocked out. We had this blow-up um, punching bag that we got as kids. 
And no matter how much my brother and I, we punched it. It was a clown, I think it was. And we punch it, and it would go down, but it would pop right back up. And so we'd punch it, and we'd, we'd take each other, and we'd throw each other into it. We would jump on top of it, we'd elbow drop it, and that thing just kept on popping up. You know, you may get knocked down in ministry. You may get the wind knocked out of you. But God's not going to let you get to the point where you're knocked out. If you trust in Him, you keep looking to Him. One of my favorite series of movies is Rocky. Love Rocky. And, and I, I like one of the Rocky movies that probably not a lot of people like or even think about. One of my favorite is Rocky V. He trains this young man who's Tommy Gunn. And he begins to train him, and Tommy turns on him. And one night, it comes to blows, and Rocky and Tommy are fighting, not in the ring, but in the street. And Tommy Gunn, the young buck, is just wearing Rocky out, just punching him, knocking him down. All the concussions of his past with, you know, Clubber Lang, Mr. T, and, and the Russian, it's all coming back on him. And, and so each blow is just one more concussion, almost to the point of knocking him out. And Rocky's on his back in the middle of some garbage. He's, all these scenes are flashing through his, his mind, and, and uh, he's thinking about all his past fly, fights. And then his old trainer, Mickey, comes to mind. Burgess Meredith, the old guy played Penguin in the, old, the first Batman. You all have no idea who that is. <clears throat> but Mickey, he comes up to him and he says, Get up! Get up, you bum! Because Mickey loves you. I cleaned it up a little bit. And then the music starts. You know the music I'm talking about? Dun, dun, da, da, dun, da, da, dun, da, da, dun, dun, dun. And Rocky gets up. He goes, I didn't hear the bell. One more round. And just wears him out. What's that got to do with this? Listen, you're going to find yourself knocked down on your back sometime. You're going to feel like the winds, all the spiritual wind is knocked out of you. But in those, in those points, in those times, God comes over you and says, get up. I love you. I love you. Get up. The fight's not over. You're not home yet. I give you the power to do what you need to do. So the troubles are going to come. The difficulties are going to come. But you're not going to be destroyed. Fourth, fourth thing, the fourth possession you and I have. The fourth possession that will get you through ministry, will get you through the hard times. The fourth thing, the fourth possession that will help you through the sufferings and through the weaknesses and be able to deal with the problems that come both mentally and spiritually and yes, physically. Because I know that as I'm getting older, my stamina is not near as, as much as it used to be. But I'm relying on something so much more than what I have in myself to be able to do. Here's the fourth possession. Fourth, you have hope, but it's not here. Look what he says here in verse 16. So we do not lose heart. We don't give up. We don't lose heart. Nobody came in here this morning and said, I want the preacher to, I want whoever's preaching chapel to, to decimate me, to, to walk, make me walk out of here with my head between my legs and I'm just going to go out here just miserable. Nobody came in here. You want something that will give you something worth encouraging, worth being able to make it. 
So here it is. We do not lose heart. We are not to the point where we are decimated. We are not to the point where we are struck out. We are knocked down. We do not lose heart. Why? Even though our outer self, this clay pot of mine, this clay jar of mine, this old cracked pot preacher of me, even though I'm wasting away, I was looking through pictures the other day. This used to be, this used to be dark brown. This, I didn't have sidewalls. I look in the mirror now and I go, what is my dad doing on the other side of this mirror? I get up in the morning now and my shoulders bother me. My knees ache. Can't see anymore. I used to have 20, 20 I used to brag. I got 20, 20 vision. I got 20, 50. And God said, I'll take that from you right now. And then look what I have to wear. We are wasting away. We are, we are, we are, we're falling apart. We're, we're, our cracked pots are getting even more cracked. We're getting chips in it. It's okay. Because this is not what we were promised. We were not said that you were going to have lifelong health and you're not going to have this lifelong ability to do whatever you want physically. But what I have promised you, what I've given you, is that though our bodies were wasting away, but the inward self, the, who you are spiritually, who you are in Christ, is being renewed day by day by day by day. You get new life every day. This old body is racing away, but inside, I still feel like a 15-year-old boy spiritually. I feel like God can do in me and through me anything He wants to because I'm looking not at the now, but I'm looking at eternity. Faith looks not in the past, it looks in the future. So he says, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, this verse itself has got so much that you and I can just unpack and unpack and unpack and say, wow, that's awesome. Let's, let's, let's rejoice in this. And then we look, oh, that's something else. But I want you to see what he says here. His, his understanding of where he is in life physically and even mentally and even spiritually, he says, listen, there's light and momentary afflictions. Light? If you just go just a few chapters ahead, you will see what he talks about that he has endured in his ministry. Listen to what it says here in chapter 11. He talks about all the things that he's gone through in his, in his life. Just listen to this. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings often near death verse 24 of chapter 11 five times i received at the hands of the jews 40 lashes less one three times i was beaten with rods once i was stoned three times i was shipwrecked a day and a night adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers danger from robbers danger from my own people danger from gentiles danger in the city Danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, on, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from these other things, there's the daily pressure of me, on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So how's your week been? 
This is not Chris Gray saying this, that Paul's life, his afflictions were light. That's Paul. So all these things, it was light. It was nothing. They were momentary compared to heaven, compared to glory, compared to what is yet to come. I love what he says. It's even beyond all comparison. I'm wasting my breath even trying to compare what I'm experiencing now, what's going to come in heaven. So look what he says here. Light, momentary afflictions. He says, contrast that with eternal weight of glory. My, my life now has got some afflictions that are light, but in heaven, it's going to be heavy glory. And right now, it's momentary, but in heaven, it is eternal. Glory that is heavy, that is weighty. I sat by the bedside of a man who came to Christ just a few years before this. He was led to Christ because he saw his son come to Jesus, and he's in his mid-60s, and he's, get, he's got this cancer that absolutely just rages in his body and his bones. And every time that Tex would move, I mean, just the slightest movement, he would wince in great pain. He talked about how he's able to make it because he knew what was ahead of him in glory. What it says in Romans chapter 8, he says, you know, our, our struggles in this life are not worth comparing to, to what's to come. And he said, I can go through this, I can deal with this because I know that God is using this and God has got a purpose in this to make the glory of heaven even greater in my life when I get there. You can make it through whatever you're going through. You can make it through those hard churches. I've been there. You can make it through those difficult deacons. I've been there. You can make it through the struggles and the stresses that come upon your family. I've been there and in there right now. Because you have got this great hope that's ahead of you. It's not, it's not realized here. You get a taste of it here. But it's in the hereafter. You can make it. You can do it. This is Paul saying, this is what it takes for you to be able to be successful in ministry, is realizing it's not you. It is Christ in you. His power in you as you carry this treasure in jars of clay that makes it not be about us, but about Him. And we just continually are giving away this treasure to more and more people. I want you to have more treasure. I want you to have the treasure that I have. Even though it pains me, even though it cracks my pot sometimes, I want to give you this treasure, knowing all the while, while we give this treasure away, ours never gets depleted. Because He is an infinite God. With an infinite plan. With infinite power in our lives as we serve Him. Father, I pray that as we see what Paul is saying here, that we will understand it is not us. Paul saw that it wasn't him that he was commending to the church at Corinth and saying, this is how, this is how successful I am. This is, all my, this is all my accomplishments. He said, no, I'm weak. I've suffered. I've been afflicted, but God has never 
ever once forsaken me, nor will he. It is by my weakness that I commend to you the ministry that God's called me to. Because when I am weak, then I'm strong. If I'm common, then the costliness of the gospel, the costliness of Jesus, will shine even brighter as we focus not on what is seen, but what is unseen. God, we thank you for this truth. Thank you, God, for how it has encouraged my life. Because I know that, God, I can't hold a candle to some. But I don't have to. I just have to be faithful, God, with what you have given me. And so do we all. God, use us. Clay pots, one and all. Cracked. But mended and molded by the hand of Jesus. We thank you for that. May you use us for your glory and never for our own. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.